In his book, Strong and Weak, Andy uh, Crouch begins by asking two haunting questions. He says, these are questions that every human being wrestles with in one way or another, and whether we really sit down and think about it or not, somewhere in our being we're asking these questions. The first question is, what are we meant to be? As human beings, what are we meant to be? And the second question is, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? He says that the answer to the first question, what are we meant to be, is we're meant to flourish. God created human beings to flourish, to be blessed, to know his blessing. And you see this in the beginning of the book of Genesis, when God creates human beings and he places them on this earth. And his whole point is that they would flourish, that they would grow, that they would know his blessing and his presence in their lives. And when you get to the end of Revelation, you see this once again as the new heaven and the new earth is ushered in through the reappearing of Christ. We see all of that brought to fruition. And you see the flourishing and the blessing of God upon human beings upon all of his creation. But we live between the now and the not yet. And between the now and the not yet, in the life that we live now, we are far from what God intended us to be. And, and we know, every one of us, if we're honest, we know we are far from what we're meant to be. And we're continually asking why. Why do we keep missing it? Why do we keep falling short? Why do we keep... Why do we keep Ending up here when we should be there. And I am convinced that the answer to that, and Crouch talks about this in his book, is that we have forgotten what the kingdom of God is about. And we have forgotten, we have a skewed view, a twisted view, and a wrong view of the kingdom and the king. And that perspective has led us not toward God, but away from God. Not toward blessing, but away from blessing. Not toward flourishing, but away from flourishing. And this is where the season of Epiphany is so important for us. Epiphany begins on January 6th. And it is the season that takes us from the end of Christmas to the beginning of Lent. And during this season, the purpose of this season, the early church set aside this season as, a, as an opportunity for us to, to see Jesus revealing the nature of the kingdom. It is typically connected to his baptism, where he humbles himself and, and is baptized. And it's also connected often to the coming of the Magi and how God's kingdom is for all people. But the purpose of Epiphany, this revelation, is to reveal to us what the kingdom is about. And actually, all of the things that Jesus does, all of his miracles, all of the parables he tells, all of the teaching he gives us is intended to reveal to us the nature of the kingdom. What is this about? And the nature of the king, what are his purposes? What's his nature? What's his character? And it seems to me that one of the places in Scripture where we find such a clear definition of Jesus' revelation of the kingdom is the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, 
five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we get an image, a, a condensation perhaps, of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom and the nature of the king. And in this, in this sermon, we find revealed Jesus saying to us, this is what the kingdom is about. This is the nature of the kingdom, and it's based on the nature and the character, the purposes of the king who rules the kingdom. And what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus, as he begins it, in what we call the Beatitudes, he says to us, the kingdom is about blessing. The kingdom is about flourishing. The kingdom is about moving us toward what we were meant to be. Nine times here at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The intent of God's kingdom is to bring blessing, to bring flourishing, to help his creatures become what we were meant to be, what he created us to be. And to move us from where we are to what he desires us to be. Now, every person sitting there listening to Jesus teach, every person who watched this thing evolve, and quite frankly, the primary audience for Matthew's gospel were going to be Jews. And it's not a coincidence that Matthew says, Jesus went up on the mountaintop and began to teach. Every good Jew would hear that, would see that, would see Jesus do that, would read those words, would hear those words, and would automatically think about Moses. Because that's what Moses did. Moses is up on the mountain when he encounters the burning bush. Moses, after bringing the people out of Egypt, goes up on the mountain, comes back with the Ten Commandments. Other times he goes up on the mountain and he has these conversations with God. He has these these God moments on the mountain. And Jesus going up on the mountain is not just a throwaway line. It's not just something that Matthew thought might sound good. This is connecting people to the presence of God, to the king and his kingdom. And he is saying, this is a clear word from God. This is, this is bringing what you've, what you've read about, what you've heard about in the past to the present And it's in Jesus. And what I find fascinating about this sermon is that as it begins, and he's talking about blessing, and he's defining what blessing is, I think he's trying to tell us that blessing comes to people who are citizens of the kingdom. And then he goes on to tell us this is what citizens of the kingdom look like. This is how citizens of the kingdom think. This is what citizens of the kingdom do. And the whole thing is completely countercultural. It's completely counterintuitive to how we tend to process life. When you read the Beatitudes, it's as if he is saying to us, blessed are the people who get into a boxing ring and get pummeled. Blessed are the people who get up on a stage to perform a play and forget every single line. Blessed are the people who invest everything they have in the stock market and lose all of it. Blessed are the the pastors who pastor a church and everybody leaves. This is bad stuff he's talking about here. This is not right. 
it is completely contrary to the way we think of blessing. Completely contrary to the way we think of what it means to flourish. Now, it is in one sense a word of of hope. Because he's talking about people that in their culture and quite frankly in our culture are not typically viewed as being blessed. He he says, blessed are the poor who realize their need for him. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are humble, those who hunger for what they don't have from God. Blessed are those who are merciful when they want to be vindictive. Blessed are those who have integrity. Blessed are those who work for peace and the battle of that. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I mean, we as Christians have been around this long enough that we say, well, those are good things. But you stop and think about it. Those are not necessarily things that are going to lead us to recognition and blessing in this world in which we live. We tend to say, blessed are the people who have everything they could ever want. Blessed are the people who don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from. Blessed are the people who don't have to worry about where they're going to, whether they're going to have shelter tonight or not. Blessed are the people who have enough that they can afford to waste a lot of what they have. Blessed are the people who can gather for worship without any threat or any thought of threat for doing that. I mean, this is completely countercultural to how we tend to think. And I think in one sense, Jesus is saying to us, to people who are particularly in these kinds of positions, there is hope. There's hope. He gets to the end of, of uh, verse 12, and he talks about how you blessed those who are persecuted, because, hey, remember, the prophets were persecuted. I'm not sure that would be such an encouragement to them. Because a lot of the prophets were killed. The prophets were shoved to the margins of society. The prophets were ignored. The prophets were persecuted. And he's saying to them, look, you're just like the prophets. Great. That's just what we wanted. Thank you so much. But it's not just a word of hope to people who don't have it. What it's really saying is the kingdom is bigger than what you're experiencing right now. This is living between the now and the not yet. This is a glimpse into what the kingdom will be. This is a glimpse into how the kingdom will look. And even though right now it feels completely counterintuitive, right now it seems like it, it could not be the way that God would truly design it, it is. And those of you who are willing to see the kingdom the way God does will be blessed. Maybe not the way you think we bless, people are blessed now, but you'll be blessed. Because all of these things are drawing us closer and closer and closer to the king who is the source of blessing. But I also think there is inherent in what Jesus says, not just hope, but I think there's also a sense of, of this is the kind of spirit and attitude that citizens of the kingdom live with. It is the mindset of the kingdom that we are embracing. We are saying, as citizens of the kingdom, we choose to be humble. 
We choose to mourn over not just our grief, but the pain of the world. We choose to be peacemakers who often get caught in the middle and, and end up in worse shape than the people who are fighting. We choose mercy when everything in us and everything people are telling us is to not choose mercy. We hunger and thirst for justice so much that we are willing to do something about it. There is a mindset here. There is a perspective here that is a kingdom perspective that quite frankly, if you boil it down, it looks like Jesus. It is the mindset and the perspective of who Jesus is. It's a kingdom perspective. I think that's where he's headed when he gets to the next section. He talks about salt and light. And he says, you are the salt of the world and you are the light of the world. I think he's saying, you will be salt and light when you operate with a kingdom mindset. When you operate with the kind of mindset that looks like Jesus. A mindset that everyone else says, wow, where did that come from? That is so different. And that means that we will be people who are involved in the, in the muck and the mire and the struggle and the burdens of the world. Our most natural thing to do is to step back and to say, we're just going to stay in the shadows. We'll just, we're just going to be the church and, and we're, we're going to build a little, little wall around us and we're just going to wait here until Jesus returns. And that's the church. And the church has taken that perspective through the years in various ways. Jesus is saying, people of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, people who, who want their lives to move toward flourishing and blessing, get involved. We are people who are vulnerable. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. For the sake of making this world a better place. For the sake of being agents of God's kingdom. Agents of reconciliation and grace and mercy and truth and justice. This is what we do in this world. We are salt. We are light. And salt, I mean, you can tell if when you eat someone's food, whether it's been salted or not. I mean, you, you can always tell. And in fact, if you're used to food being salted and someone makes food for whatever reason that isn't salted, it's evident to you right away. And what do you do? You reach for the salt shaker. And you can tell when light is shining. I mean, Jesus says, people turn on a lamp. They, I mean, they, well, in his day, they wouldn't turn on a lamp, but they light a lamp. We turn on lights. We don't try to hide it. We don't, we don't turn on a lamp and push, stick it in the closet. We light a lamp, turn on a lamp, and we set it next to us. Because what's the point of it? It's to give light. And the light is our good works. The light is what we do. The light is involvement. The light is doing what we do in this world. It is being a voice for the voiceless. It's being a presence for people who have no presence it is being encouragement for people who live in despair. I mean, we live in a world in which the kinds of things that happened in Fort Lauderdale this week happen. 
We live in a world in which people believe that their only recourse to the pain and the brokenness and the hurt that they feel is to lash out at other people. We see it every day, all the time. And we live it. And it may not be with guns and knives and weapons, but we've all got tongues and we use those. We, we use our attitudes and our perspectives to say, I'm not going to forgive that person and I'm going to make sure they know I don't forgive them. We ignore people in need. We ignore the burden and the broken people of the world. And Jesus is saying people who are salt and light, citizens of the kingdom, people who want to know the blessing of God, simply refuse to not be involved. We let our light shine. We, we get involved. We become vulnerable. Even though we may experience pain and hurt in the process. It's one of the things that sets the citizens of the kingdom apart from people who are not. Is that we are always looking for ways to get involved and, and even in ways that are of involvement that are costly to us. But what we sometimes miss is how we get involved. Like one of the things the church, particularly in this country, is wrestling with is that what does it mean to be an influence on the culture? What does it mean to be salt and light? And sometimes, perhaps often, we view being salt and light as sort of being, I guess I would think of being entitled and, and being dominant. We, be, we think that being salt and light is meaning that that it's all about our rights to do whatever we want to do. It's about dominating people. It's about making people do what we want them to do. It's about, it's about making people conform to the things of Christ. It is about forcing people into the kingdom. And when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus always out doing things, teaching things, and never once forcing anyone to accept it, to receive it. There is something about patience, patient presence, that's a part of being salt and light. It is, it is doing what God is calling us to do. It is building relationships. It is stepping into problems. It, 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 is, it is standing up for people who don't have a voice to stand up. But doing it in a spirit of Humility and patience and grace and mercy and vulnerability. It's doing it in the spirit of the Beatitudes. It's doing it in the spirit of Christ. And believing that when we do that, even though it doesn't create the same kinds of results that we would like, that perhaps sometimes it doesn't create any results that we can see, but we do it as an act of trust in the faithfulness of God. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. If we were to design the coming of the Messiah, I can tell you right now, I would not have designed it the way Jesus does it. You know, to wait 
hundreds of years before Jesus enters, before the Messiah comes. I think I would have sent Jesus the moment Adam and Eve ate that fruit. Let's just solve this thing right now. Why let it go on? And, and, and the, certainly, Jesus comes, I wouldn't have given the first 30 years of his life to obscurity and only give three and a half years to his public ministry. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how you do things in this world, right? But that's the way God does things. Slowly, a person at a time, a situation at a time. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons he does that is because it forces us to trust him. It forces us to realize that this is not about what we do. It's simply about our lives being open to the king. It's about surrendering our way to his way and trusting him. I mean, it's the mindset you see in people like William Wilberforce, who, who spent uh, 50 years of his life finally abolishing slavery in Britain. It's people like Bishop Desmond Tutu who, who worked and, and, and sacrificed to bring about not just the end of apartheid in South Africa, but in a way that brought reconciliation and forgiveness. It's, it's the work of, of someone like Cicely Saunders who realized that terminally ill patients were being ignored by the medical profession and so she started hospice just for one person, two people, five people. And we see where it has grown to this day now. But it just started with someone caring where they were, the situation in front of them, the people in front of them, humbly, patiently doing what they could. Living this kind of, with this kind of mindset, living as citizens of the kingdom I'm convinced, is not just one option among many. I think sometimes when we read the Beatitudes and we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read it and we think, well, that's great, but, you know, who could ever do that? And so, you know, we we sort of see it as the people who are, they're just really committed. And and they're the ones who do this. And and the rest of us, we do, you know, we, we kind of experiment with it a little bit, but... You know, it's just way too much. But I'm convinced that Jesus is not saying, look, I, I know this road to blessing is, is maybe not what you want. So, you know, how about take this option instead? And, and you know, we may not get to the, quite the level of blessing, but you'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, I've got five or six options you can choose from. He doesn't. He says, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. This is what it looks like to be God's people. This is the only pathway to flourishing, to blessing, to the kingdom. Because this is the pathway, this is the way of the king.
And I'm convinced that it is the most challenging way to live. It's the way of blessing, but it's the most challenging way to live. I often hear, I've heard people say who are, say, you know, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't really want anything to do with religion. But, you know, I do like the Sermon on the Mount. I, I like that. I want to say to them, you like it because you don't realize what it's really asking of you. I mean, this is challenging. It's the most challenging way in the world to live. But quite frankly, anything good is going to be challenging. And I'm convinced it's challenging because it ultimately leads us to a recognition of how much we need to trust God. If we could do this on our own, if we could do this without worrying about it, if we could do this in our sleep, we don't need to trust God. We just do it ourselves and we're good. It's the challenge that causes us to realize just how much we not only need to want to be in the kingdom, but how much we need the king as the center, as the focus. Are we going to live up to this? Probably not until Jesus reappears and ushers in the kingdom. But is it what we want? The citizens of the kingdom are people who want all of this to be the way that we live. We want all of this to be true. We want whatever God wants for his kingdom, that's what we want. However God wants to to accomplish his purposes, that's what we want. Even if it is challenging. Even if it does make us feel uncomfortable. Even if it does put us in a position of vulnerability and sacrifice. It's what we want it because it's what the king wants. That's what citizens of the kingdom do. That's how citizens of the kingdom think. That's what leads us to blessing. To the flourishing of life that God created us for. It comes back to trusting Him. In his book, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson tells about one day sitting on the banks of a, of a little lake and uh, watching a, a little family of sparrows. There was a branch that was sticking out over the water and this, this family of sparrows was sitting on top of the branch and there were... There was what he would, you know, look like a, a mother and a father and three little chicks. And it seemed to him that the mother was trying to teach these little chicks how to fly. It was obvious they had never done this before. So her strategy was to get inside them and to begin to nudge them toward the end of the branch. And then he said, I'm watching this, and she is just scooting along the branch, nudging them, shoving them, pushing them, until they get to the, the one on the end eventually falls off. And somewhere between the the branch and the water, four feet below, it begins to flap its wings and flies. So she keeps pushing and pushing more and pushing more until the other next one on the end falls off. Same thing happens. Starts like a rock toward the water and then does what comes natural and begins to flap its wings and flies. 
And so now she's got the one more left, and she is shoving and pushing that little chick toward the end of the branch. But this little chick was not like the other ones. This is the strong-willed child little chick right here. And he said that thing was not going to be bullied. In fact, it got to the place where he was, he was, he let go of his grip for a second and she began to shove him and he flipped up underneath the branch and he's hanging there like this on the branch. And he said that, that the mother looked, just kind of stared at him a second. And I'm sure he's thinking, I've, I've won this battle, but he hadn't. She just went over and she began to peck at him <laughs> at, his, at his talons. And just peck and peck and peck over and over and over again until finally the pain of that was greater than his fear of falling. And he let go. And somewhere between that branch and the water four feet below, that little bird began to flap his wings and fly. And Peterson says, you know, birds, they, can, they have talons, they can... They can sit on branches. They can hang from branches. They can walk. They can run. But they were really created to fly. That's the most natural thing in the world for a bird to do. And you and I can live all kinds of ways, but we were created to flourish. We were created to be blessed. We were created to soar. And God is intent on moving us toward flourishing and blessing. It's why Jesus comes to set us free from all of the things that keep us from it, from our fears and our self-centeredness. To set us free from all of those things in us that make us think that life was meant for us to just survive. When all the while, he created us to flourish. And Jesus says, citizens of the kingdom flourish when they have the mindset of Christ. So you think about your home, you think about where you work, you think about your relationships, think about the struggles, the burdens that are ahead of you. I think the question before us today is, do we want to flourish and soar and know the blessing of God or not? Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you that you created us to flourish. To know your blessing. To live in your blessing. Help us to see the path you have created to move us toward it. Forgive us for all of the things Keep us from being what you want us to be. Give us grace to live in the mind of Christ. Amen.